Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Anne Friedman. And I'm Aminatu So. On this week's agenda, digital detoxes and why they may or may not be kind of bullshit. We're finally going to talk about Ferguson and modern race politics and what it takes to get white people interested in causes like police brutality, uh, adult summer camp, because we need a break from all of that, and also maybe a little chat about retirement and awesome older ladies getting theirs. Hi, Boo. Where, maybe you should tell everyone where you are. Hi, I am live from Bed-Stuy from um, our really good friend Mercy and Ryan's apartment. They're out of town this week. Their space is really awesome. It just it feels so much like them. So even though I miss them, I feel like they're here. Uh, uh, staying at design-oriented friends' places is the best. <laughs> I know, it's so crucial. I'm going to rob them. Ryan has these Timberlands I have my eye on, and I'm definitely going to take them with me. New York is just my power zone. I'm happy here. Oh, Do you feel sad that you're coming back to California, or is that a loaded question? I mean, I don't feel sad that I'm coming back to California. I'm like an adult person, um, but... <laughs> We all know adults don't get sad ever about anything. (laughs) No, it's just like, come on. I'm not sad to go back to California. I'm actually kind of excited because I finally found an apartment in San Francisco. So, oh my God, the holy grail. Unpack some boxes. I have to start thinking about housewarming gifts for you now. Uh, I want everything. So, the other day I went to West Elm with uh, Cecile, our crucial core lady, Cecile and had a meltdown shopping for a couch. I realized that I just never buy anything in stores. Like, I'm such an online shopper. And when I told Cecile that I was going to buy this couch online, she was like, that's crazy. Let's at least go sit on it. I mean, that's good advice. No, I mean, right? Like, it's great advice. I'm just like, I return everything. If I hate this couch, I'm going to return it. Like, who cares? You know, like, online shopper mentality. And the couch looked completely different from the internet. And I was like, I'm so glad that we came. Because then I fell in love with this other thing, but then I got really overwhelmed because I don't shop in brick and mortar stores. And within 20 minutes, I needed like a Xanax and just like a whiskey because I couldn't handle it anymore. I don't know how people shop inside of stores. Couch shopping is serious business. Not to make this all about me, but I very much missed my couch while I was gone and um, have been trying to recommune with it. But it's a little warm in Los Angeles right now to get really in, up into the couch, if you know what I mean. yeah it's like there's like a drought happening the other day in san francisco it drizzled for like five seconds and people were out in the street talking and communing over it and i was i was so confused i was like what's good like what's going on is it a terrorist attack like what's happening why are we all out here people were like it's the drought it's raining a little and i was like there's a drought i just thought it never rained in california uh no idea it was like a thing so i felt really stupid 
I have seen it rain in California personally. Like, not really in the last year, but... <laughs> I know it rained once while I was in L.A., and Gina told, Gina apologized to me for the rain. She's like, I'm so sorry you're here and it's raining. I was like, L.A. people are weird. Our beloved podcast producer, Gina Delvac, who is a native <laughs> Angelino. I can't believe she's apologizing for rain as a native Angelino. Like, it was the funniest thing. She was like, I'm so sorry you're here, and it's it's raining. You, and it was like, I, I've been here for three weeks, and it hasn't rained. That's kind of creepy. Right. One day of rain is fine. Um, but uh, can I tell you how good it is to be back? I'm like on a joy tour of Los Angeles right now. Oh, that's awesome. I'm eating all of the things. I'm like repopulating my house with plants that died while I was away. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like walking around beaming. I went to a friend's birthday party last night and knew more than two people in the room. And I was like, oh my God, I've missed this. <laughs> I also saw Purple Rain at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery and everyone was like non-ironically dancing and singing along. And I was like, Ugh, I missed, I missed the sincerity here. <laughs> I know the sincerity the California sincerity is like culture shock for me that's so funny that you saw Purple Rain I saw um, fiance of Prince at Oakland Pride Sheila E and she looks amazing I saw her a couple years ago play with Prince at the forum and she looked amazing then as well power couple Prince and Sheila E I know I just to, to be a fly on the wall of like any Sheila E Prince interaction I would die um, so I don't know when the last time you saw Purple Rain is, but there is a Prince ventriloquism scene with a puppet, like maybe a third of the way through the movie. And it's like the most incredible, weird aspect of that entire film. Like, I don't know why when, when people are like, oh, Prince, like sex icon, whatever else, even ventriloquism hasn't harmed his rep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. I was reading a Prince book a while back um i don't even remember who wrote it maybe to yes to probably and there's an incredible scene where he plays basketball with friends and it's like straight out of a Chappelle show skit it's just oh my God, incredible. prince plays basketball yeah prince plays basketball but you know it's like playing basketball with barack obama who's gonna beat you nobody so it's like, <laughs> <laughs> something like <laughs> you know except for like barack obama looks like he could play basketball prince on the other hand like yeah, so Prince like dominates the basketball games at his house. Is really he needs funny platform passage. basketball sneakers. I dare you to challenge Prince to a game of ball one on one. Challenge him, All right? And let make sure your people is there to see the game, because you might get embarrassed. Trust me. All right, he beat you in basketball, and then what happened? After it was all over, he took us in the house and served us pancakes. <laughs> So wait, talk to me about digital detoxes. I, you know, I, I don't know maybe if I dreamt or maybe we had put it on the agenda before for CYG, but you had definitely brought this up and it was like, I love that you feel so strongly about this. Talk to me. I mean, I don't know. There are periodically articles about people, about people being like, oh, I took from a break from the internet and discovered how amazing my life was. Or there's always, like, I think that there's the same article that just makes the rounds between the New York Times and the New Yorker and like the Atlantic and whatever that's like how taking a break from the computer and walking will give you your best ideas and it's like 
the fact that we need to remind people, I mean, it's just is so 101. It's like breathing oxygen is good for you. Like exercise and drinking water are good for you. It's like, yes, it's really good to not sit hunched over the computer 24 seven or be like replying to a million tweets like at, you know, midnight when you should be reading a book or falling asleep to television or whatever. No, totally <laughs> like, right. I think that those articles say so much about the person that they're, that's writing them because I'm not opposed to digital detoxes. I actually do them all the time because I have really internet intensive jobs. But again, it's just, hi, thank you for telling us that you were not a well-rounded human and you discovered that maybe you have a little obsessive personality. Like the internet's not the problem. You're the problem. Right. Like they always have the same conclusion. I think, I guess my problem is not with the digital detox as a concept. Like I, I too have great ideas when I'm not looking at a computer screen, (laughs) but like the idea that it needs to be sort of like talked about and like given a formal name and like, I don't know. I mean, it just kind of seems like, I don't know, like it's boring. Like I just want editors to stop assigning it. (laughs) I know. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like those people are how real, like, the rest of us feel about people who go on juice cleanses and do weird, like, California woo-woo shit. Right. Yes, this is, I think that this is what I said to you in our agenda email. It's like, they totally are the juice cleanse of the internet. Like, yeah, is assessing your diet sometimes a good idea? Totally. But, like, the idea that, like, you know, oh, I'm doing a juice cleanse as, like, a shorthand for, like, for that is totally insane. Yeah, you know, I think, um, like, obviously everybody has, like, you know, weird addiction things or things that you overindulge in that are bad for you. But, again, like, nobody wants to hear you talk about it. And some a lot of people are obsessed with talking about how they're dealing with their problems. I think I, people do want to hear you talk about it, though. Like, some people do. Like, people I mean, are I obviously really don't. clicking I really articles. don't want to hear about the fact that, you know, like, maybe you email or tweet too much. Or that you are in a juice cleanse. Because a lot of times, again, it's like the insight is not profound. And it's very self-centered. Mm-hmm. There. <laughs> stop writing about your your detoxes of all varieties. Yeah, I mean, stop <laughs> writing about your digital detoxes. You sound like a crazy person. get serious i feel like we've been we've been sort of kicking our a discussion of ferguson down down to like the next episode and the next episode because we've both been burnt out and have wanted to have a real conversation i did like a little kind of cursory glance at the local st louis press and like a couple of national outlets just to be like oh where is ferguson ranking in terms of like the headlines these days and it's like still around like places are still writing about um sort of casual racial racial bias and when it comes to the criminal justice system it's sort of like the third fourth fifth sixth day news stories about it um and the local news is still writing about the investigation but it's that familiar feeling of like oh it's not like hashtag trending in cable news like the biggest conversation in the country anymore which is bothersome to me probably like the thing that was the most 
sobering and really sad about everything about Ferguson is how it's like here is the name of like another black person that got shot by police that I know you know it's Eric Garner, Renisha McBride, Amadou Diallo like all it's so sad that we know all these names and they're so permanently just etched into our consciousness but you know the one thing that was really interesting to me is that Ferguson also happened at the same time as like a lot of other just insane news stories the conversation you know obviously like because i'm black like i care more about this like clearly <laughs> like clearly it matters more to me but it more was to you really... than like your average white person yeah, or like, know, like more than me like, more, <laughs> yeah like clearly but also like white people were so obsessed with the fact that a celebrity had just died or that they don't know how to talk about racial justice and that was something that was really sad to me wait that they were they were more interested in celebrities than the fact that they don't know how to talk about racial justice yes yeah um totally and it's always an interesting question that i have i don't want to write the like a white person responds (laughs) article about you know like incidents of racial injustice that are sort of symptomatic of like serious deep ongoing problems in American society. I really do struggle with the not wanting to be like another white person weighs in on how it is different for me, which is, you know, sort of almost as yawn worthy as digital detox. Um, But I also don't (laughs) want to, I am also aware that I have a platform and don't want to ignore it. Something I think about a lot. I would definitely enjoy um, or I would appreciate more some um, like more white people talking about this because they just don't for whatever reason they don't and um, silence you know like you have really good reasons for being silent but your silence is not perceived the same and right. I think that like one for one like that's a problem but also I don't know I feel like very viscerally upset about this still I, like I don't know what it is about this that makes me like so particularly upset Well, and I should also be clear, like, I don't feel compelled to, like, stay silent on the issue overall. Like, I do share, like, the writing of other people and, like, reporting from other people that I think is valid. It's more just, like, when it comes time to interject my perspective, I just don't know how worthwhile it is in in many situations. And I don't know. I mean... You have the best perspective, Anne. Mm. (laughs) I mean, sometimes, but, like, I, I mean... I don't know. I, I think that there have been some great counterexamples to that. Um, did you read uh, the piece that Matt Zoller Seitz wrote, who who is a white guy, about talking to his white son about yes, racial so privilege? Yeah, so good. And I thought that was really interesting, the, like, the idea of channeling a conversation that, like, white parents do not have to have with their white children through sort of like a, oh, but, like, I should have this conversation because parents of boys of color have to have this have to have this conversation i want it will never happen but someone to go back and interview his son and sort of say do you remember having that conversation with your father around the time of ferguson or if it just kind of passes by because even even then he's still talking too delicately about the issue and it's not really real to white people who haven't experienced it firsthand yeah there was also i think it was on npr maybe i don't want to remember this wrong was the white mom who was like raised the black son and was like we live in a colorblind society and home and whatever and just never had that conversation with him or like real conversations about race and then he was involved in a police brutality accident and she was like oh like (laughs) this is this is how the world is for for my son and 
I remember thinking that was really interesting also. No, totally. Can I ask you, like, a journo journo question? This has nothing to do with, like, race or, like, social justice or whatever. Sure. <laughs> um, I'm really curious about what you think about um, the journalist who got arrested during Ferguson and the coverage of that, just, like, from your own journo perspective, because I feel differently about it probably as a non-journo. So I'm talking about um, Ryan J. Riley from Huffington Post and Wes Lowry from the Washington Post who both got arrested um, at this McDonald's and then like kept giving interviews about it. And then they also became a part of the story. And there was a whole, you know, like 36 hour news cycle about, oh my God, they're arresting journalists in America. What's happening? Well, first of all, I think it's really hard. I, I have never sort of been covering like a massive national breaking news story like those guys were where I'm doing it in real time and writing stories where I'm where my sort of perspective is not paramount you know where I'm supposed to be sort of like giving the lay of the land on the ground and interviewing people who are there and being a conduit for their stories and experiences meanwhile sort of tweeting in my voice what I see happening around me that's a really hard balance to strike and I think that even reporters who would maybe tell you objectively I'm not the center of this story. My arrest or my interaction with police is not the most important thing that happened that day by far. Would they be able to tell you that, like, you know, with some distance and perspective? Yes. Like, would they be able to sort of pause after every tweet and say, wait a minute, am I making myself too much a part of the story? Like, I think that's just really, really difficult. Like, full stop. No, it was not the most important thing. The reason why so many people latched onto it, in my opinion, is there's this sense that, like, journalists are objective people on the scene like no one expects to hear a story about a reporter provoking police deliberately in any way even though 90 percent of the protesters were also not provoking police deliberately it's sort of like a guaranteed sympathetic figure which is why people love that story i don't think it's right that there is an assumption that because you're a journalist you're less likely to provoke police than a than a peaceful protester yeah i guess i'm just like selfishly i want like you or somebody at like CJR to write about it because um, you know obvious I mean this is obviously an oversimplification but reporters got arrested all the time during the civil rights movement and nobody made a big deal out of it but um, you know I I think that it was it's a crazy thing that they got arrested I think that it's like fine that they processed it what what I thought was insane is the fact that like their editors let them do interviews about it and other serious journalists would ask them about it you know I was like, okay, this thing happened, let's move on. And then it was such a like intense part of the news cycle. I was like, that's a little embarrassing. I am embarrassed for you. Right. I mean, it's totally on them to decline interviews about their personal experience. But like, I think that, again, like where it gets really muddy is a lot of times those interviews are like, we'd like to interview you about what you're seeing on the ground in Ferguson, which is totally legit. Like you want to tell people here, here is what the people who are protesting are really protesting. And here's what they've experienced for years and years and years. And here's, you know, the demographics of the people protesting like that I'm seeing with my own eyes and all this stuff. And then they throw in a question like, oh, and even you were arrested. In some ways, it draws more attention to just be like, I don't want to talk about that. And I actually haven't seen any television interviews with those particular reporters, so I don't know how it went down. But not every interview is like, come on and talk about your arrest. Although there were some like that as well that you can, of course, decline. I think that, you know, it's, it's sometimes really hard to separate what is you channeling what you see and what is you making yourself a part of a story you're not really part of. 
So I guess what you're saying, journalism, it's complicated. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm okay. saying. Also, like, I mean, there is another part of me as well, like much like the story of that white mom writing about her black son being profiled by police. I think her son was black or partly black. I don't remember. But like her, clearly her darker skin son being profiled by police. I don't police. know how to tell you this, Anne. You're black or like partly black, black. <laughs> Okay. She said her son was black. That's cool. <laughs> I'm like trying to eat this taco and talk to you at the same time. <laughs> this explains why you've gotten a little like muffled at points, like mouthful of taco. <laughs> trying to snack. It's 11. <laughs> I understand. Um, but what I was going to say is sort of like, you know, so one of the reasons why her story was compelling is because it's sort of like, oh, I lived under the assumption, a sort of white assumption about who police are and what they do and about my son's safety. That was clearly like a gut level thing I'd internalized from growing up as a white person in, I'm guessing, predominantly white communities. And there's something similar when it's a white reporter, in the case of one of those reporters we were talking about who were arrested, when it's a white reporter coming in for a similar level of harassment as, you know, anyone else just sitting in a mcdonald's on their phone or whatever um it's this it's this idea that like oh if it can happen to even a white reporter it does serve a little bit of value in saying like white people be invested no it's true when i heard the huffington post reporter got arrested i was like that guy wears a suit every day to go work at huffpo you can't arrest him that's crazy (laughs) right and i i wish it weren't that you need an example of a white person being unfairly targeted by police or like the son of a white person being like (laughs) brutalized by police in order to get lots of white people interested and invested but that's kind of the case (laughs) sometimes and i think this does go back to what i was sort of saying about like do i write hello a white person weighs in about ferguson (laughs) is like (laughs) typing like mimic typing on your computer right now totally i'm doing i'm actually sitting on my bed with my laptop like asking carrie bradshaw rhetorical questions (laughs) yeah i could i could just see you do it you're like typing carrie bradshaw channeling that's crazy what can a white girl write about race riots (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that sounds awful i know I I i just feel like another dimension of the story that's crazy to me is it will never cease to shock me how and and I guess this will be it, it's like the opposite for white people. But how much white people have faith in the police? Because I I just like try to not interface with them at all. And when I was in Boston recently, I witnessed like an insane just police brutality accident, and it's left me scarred for a long time. Never going back to Boston. Still hate the cops. Just all of that. And so on on some level, it's also not surprising to me, right? It's like whenever I hear one of these stories, my instinct is always like, oh, what are these cops doing? And that's not how everyone feels. Totally. White people are always like, yes, the cops, law and order. And I'm like, uh, yeah, only for some people, not for all of us. Some and of I, us like, get killed. For sure. And I do think that people who have long ingrained biases that say, you know, for example, the police are always a benevolent force for good and like justice are the the kinds of people who might be swayed by like white mom writing. I used to be like you. I used to believe the police were only a force for kindness and goodness and whatever else. And then this thing happened. Those types of stories where like where it's not so much saying like 
you are a damn fool if you believe that the cops are treating everyone the same everywhere. You know, that doesn't really, like, win many hearts and minds, <laughs> as it were, you know? No, totally. In Brooklyn, a couple when I still lived in Brooklyn a couple of months ago, <laughs> we went into a bodega with a friend who had a bicycle. And we didn't have anywhere to tie the bike or whatever. And I was like, I'll stay outside and watch your bike and you can go in and get our fizzy waters. And this cop out of nowhere offered to watch the bikes for us. And I remember being so shocked. I was like, you would never do that for me. You're obviously doing this for like my white dude friend because you don't want his bicycle to get stolen in Bushwick. But yeah, I was like, this is, you know, I was like community policing. I guess it's like a real thing. I just, I'd never been on the receiving end of it. So it was, it's still shocking and funny to me. Right. Our pal, Jean Demby, who works at NPR, um, had a great series of tweets that I'm sure someone has storified somewhere that were about just pure levels of contact with police. You know, I mean, I, I grew up in a small 95% white town had zero, literally zero interactions with police outside of like someone coming to class to tell us not to do drugs slash about how awesome drugs are inadvertently. <laughs> like, you know, like, like that is literally my only interaction, which like contrast that with, you know, someone who's growing up um, in like a heavily policed urban area, for example. Cops are everywhere all the time. Like the, the probability of having negative interaction is just like statistically more like, it's just statistically more likely. Yeah, so crazy. Ugh, police, just the just the worst. Okay. Um, I, do we know? This, this do we have any cops in our friend group? I just like I was like, God, we should. No, have called, and I don't make, I'm not friends with narcs. It's like literally a rule I have. I don't friend police. I'm not even kidding. I mean, there's also an interesting thing going. I mean, so this is a, like a little bit of a tangent, but I I interviewed this woman. I've been I've been doing these small profiles for Cosmopolitan for Latinas. So I've been interviewing for each issue like a rad Latina woman who's doing something cool. Yes. And I interviewed this woman last week for like an upcoming profile and um, who does a, who started a foundation for Latinas in STEM in science, technology, engineering, and math. And uh, just you know, for any readers who aren't down with the acronym. <laughs> And um, I was like, Anne, are you like white splaining STEM to me? Girl, that was not white splaining. That was like remembering how Gina tells us to explain concepts. No, I know. It took it took like 30 seconds. And I was like, what? Like, okay, fine. I was like, Anne, you know, I know what STEM is, right? But but this this woman was telling a story about going into classrooms and saying like, hey, I'm an engineer at Boeing. I came from the same community you did. I grew up around the block and you could be an engineer too. And she was making this point about visibility where she was like, you know, kids who grew up here don't know many engineers. So I'm the engineer example for them. And I was like, well, what do they say they do want to be? Like if you poll them um, and she's like, they all want to be teachers or police officers. And I mean, I didn't really ask her about it any further because it was kind of tangential to our conversation about STEM. <laughs> but, Science, but, uh, technology, but, engineering, math. <laughs> right. But, you know, it struck me as like, you know, in this um, fairly low income, predominantly Latino neighborhood in the San Fernando Valley that like, you know, a cop would be a coveted career among a, like in a classroom of Latino kids. Like, I thought that was really interesting in the context of something like like Ferguson and talking about the racial demographics of the of the police force there. Yeah, no, it's true. It's like, if I met people of color that were cops, I would want to befriend them. White cops, no thank you. 
just to tie this all back home, since you're back in Los Angeles, uh, have you been to the LAPD cafeteria near your house? Yes, I have. Um, and it's technically an independent restaurant, right? Like, it's not... I mean, it's run by Aramark. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a cafeteria. Explains the quality I, of that cheese slice on my eggs. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it was kind of delicious. I... I went there with uh, our good friend Zach Stone and Amanda Hess, and anecdotally, there were a lot of very young Latino cops on that campus, and I remember being a little struck by that. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that was really funny is how the lady wouldn't let us take a selfie in there, and her she was like, there are a lot of undercover cops here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, please, let me... We still snuck in a selfie. Thanks, Saxton. Maybe we should look to add some non-white cops to our social circle. Just saying. Could be, could be know, interesting. Anne, feel free to pioneer that for us. I'm going to start I'm hanging out be, at the cafeteria I'm down be the right street. Here. Yeah, I'm going to be right here. You tell me about your conference. <laughs> Man, that was that was really heavy. Can we talk about something like less heavy? Sure. Do you want to talk about adult summer camp? <laughs> sure. Like, did you? So, I have not read Marissa Meltzer's adult summer camp article, but I know that she was going to this. To I think it was like the WeWork camp because mm-hmm. I was also invited and decided not to go. <laughs> It just, you know, it just sounds like my nightmare. It's like tech people, summer camp. No, I just, I just cannot. My, my question, I mean, I did read the article and I feel you just did a totally serviceable summary of it. But my question was, isn't this just like Burning Man with a different aesthetic? You know, digital detox, (laughs) get away from it all. And um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's very basic. There's actually a couple of conferences like this. There's another one called, I think maybe it's called the Summit. God, I should Google this, where it's literally tech people go into the wilderness and unplug and they go on hikes and just come out feeling so rejuvenated and make like million dollar deals. It's the funniest thing in the world to me. I was like, yeah, this is, it, it just, it's my nightmare. I can't do it. I was never like, um, like a summer camp kid because I, my parents weren't rich and I didn't grow up on the coast. Burn. Um, <laughs> but... Is this true? Is like, I mean, like I'm not being facetious. Is summer camp like a rich person thing in America? Um, among people I know who, who didn't grow up in New York, Boston, DC suburbs. I don't really know anyone who went to kind of like a month long summer camp. I went to like Girl Scout camp for a week or I know people who went to like YMCA camp for a couple weeks, but the sort of stereotypical go away to camp for the summer. Again, anecdotally, I I don't know. I have not like... Wait, people go to camp for a month? Like your parents dump you at camp for a month? I thought this was like a week thing. I mean, that's what it was for me. I went for like a week. It was miserable. I spent my whole time in the crafts tent and then there was a tornado one year and I never went back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, you would have done so well in like Adam's family values. Oh my God. I was sort of Wednesday (laughs) Adam. Well, I wasn't that dark. Like even as a teenager, I couldn't really, I was never that dark. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, I was definitely nerdy. I I was definitely nerdy and definitely not into like horses or hiking. 
I read a bunch of children's, you know, fiction that was all set at summer long camp. Much like, like in my head, if I had gone to like a school in a city, like if I'd gone to summer camp, I would have like kissed a boy by the time I'd gone to high school or something. Like I had this. <laughs> I, I went had... to summer camp. I did not kiss a boy. You didn't? <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? Please. You're crushing all my childhood fantasies about summer camp. I didn't have time. I was reading books. Uh, wait. Did you go to, like, summer-long camp? No, I did not go to summer-long camp. I went to, like, week-long camps. My parents were very civilized. We went on fancy trips in the summer. Like, that's why I'm shocked that, like, people dump their kids at summer camp. Selfish rich parents, yo. <laughs> <laughs> My parents were not rich. Definitely. Well, they're not selfish <laughs> is what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, that's funny. I, now I really want to read Marissa's article because... In my head, like, all I can see is I know um, St. Lucia, the band, was going to play, and that's why I was kind of interested in going. But I can just see, like, tech people, like, exchanging swag and being, like, semi-naked. There's probably somebody in an Indian headdress somewhere, you know, like, just, like, that vibe. Yes, I know that vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's another aspect of the adult summer camp is that incredible BuzzFeed article about the the retirement home in Florida, that super creepy one. I mean, so wait, did you read this article? Be honest. Oh, you know, I read this article the day, and you know I'm obsessed with retirement and retirees, please. That's why I'm into personal finance, so I can afford my own Shangri-La when I'm old. (laughs) But also, uh, (laughs) no, it's true. It's also, I don't know if you read the Eric Kleinenberg book, Going Solo, which is like basically my Bible about like the rise of single people. There's this whole chapter on, you know, like the rise of retirement homes also and how how that's like a brand new phenomena kind of and how especially in America it manifests like so weirdly but that's why I enjoyed the BuzzFeed article because this place in Florida god what is it called it's called the, the villages yeah the villages so first of all you should do like a cursory glance for the villages because people always write stories about how the old people there all have um, STDs all the right. time and there are like <laughs> a lot of it's like a hundred thousand people it's a massive massive retirement complex yeah, it's it's so but you know, I I just love this idea of like this old people Shangri-La. <laughs> just they're so happy and they're having so much sex and they just do all these activities. Uh, you know, I'm like you guys are going to live to be really old probably because you're happy, but also there's some like really problematically weird things about it, right? Like how everybody that lives in the villages is white. <laughs> Yeah, and he kind of he kind of gets into. I mean, he doesn't talk about that as much as he talks about there being sort of a burgeoning gay community there, which is interesting, but not so much about the fact that it's all white. It's like, okay, so where are all of like the rich black people retiring? Oh, we're not gonna tell you, so you can write an article about it. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe I will. <laughs> I sort of have this new idea about my dream retirement, which is um, based on uh, my friend Jess, who who is a friend who lives in London. Her mom, so her parents um, split up when she was really young, and she's an only child. And her mom and several of her mom's friends um, have, like, pooled their resources and bought property together, like, outside of London. And it's sort of like they'll each have their own home on sort of a communal plot of land. 
and then there's like a plan for when like basically for them to move there as they age and then they can share resources for like a healthcare aid or something like that and um it's kind of an awesome idea i feel like it's sort of like a little like you know it's like an alt version of like a retirement complex no totally um in the kleinenberg book he talks about this like in a lot of places in europe people do this and it's really really cool obviously it's the dream just want to live with your ladies and share caftans and retire also we're women so we're definitely gonna live longer i mean very much so this is talking about your feelings buys you like an extra 20 years (laughs) (laughs) it's like talking about your feelings having friends like going out of your house all of those things it's like you just live happier i'm already starting with like very few fucks so i'm gonna be a great 70 year old that's how you end up on a lap sucking some 50 year old dude's earlobe and having a reporter write about it (laughs) yeah it's like here let me read it to you it's like one night at red sauce also lol this place is called red sauce one night at red sauce is that an italian restaurant (laughs) it's probably an italian restaurant (laughs) one night at red sauce we watch an early 60s blonde seduce a mid-30s male she sits on his lap leans backwards strokes his hair and sucks on his earlobe he asks for the check we applaud Get it, no, girl. It's great. No, it's great. Or even how some of the women are afraid of some of the cougars, you know, because they're really competitive. I was like, this is incredible. I mean, I guess you're retired and bored. It's like high school all over again. Like, what do you have but to like turn all of your like conniving social instincts on each other? It's like, I don't know. Shine theory very yeah, like, relevant to the retired demographic. <laughs> Yeah, no, old people need activities, like, hardcore. I mean, otherwise you die. You need an activity. Oh, man, and speaking of Shine Theory, today was the U.S. Open final. You know how I love, 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 love tennis. And you went. You saw it. Wait, did you go to the final in person? Yes, it was so good. And You're everywhere all the time. I feel like you're, like, a a Zelig-like figure. Sorry for the Woody Allen reference. But you're just, like, (laughs) at the U.S. Open. (laughs) First row of Beyonce. (laughs) And you know how I love tennis. It's, tennis is really important to me. I know. And it was great because I was like, I have plans tonight. And Serena was like, I, I also have plans. We're both going to be out of here by 7 p.m. Like, she was great. She, like, won in 45 minutes. But she played um, Caroline Wozniacki, who is, like, one of her, like, really, 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 really good friends. And, you know, it's like obviously like she plays Venus a lot, who's her sister, but also like playing a friend is hard. Right. But at the end of the game, Wozniacki was so great. She like she said she was like, Serena, you played better than I did. And um, I'm quoting because I like actually wrote this on my phone. You're an inspiration to me on and off the court. You're an unbelievable friend. And you definitely owe me drinks later. And I was like, if that's not like shine theory amazing like that's so great i have full body goosebumps which is hard because it's like 90 degrees in my house right now (laughs) it was so good i was like i gotta write this down you were just like the best you're the best lady well maybe on that note we should just sign off wait are you in am i gonna see you soon maybe maybe i mean i'm gonna be in san francisco in october i'm reading at a couple of events for litquake yeah, I know. Every time I see it on your calendar, I read it as Clitquake, and it always... I mean, we should start a competing event, Clitquake. <laughs> so crazy. Um, anyway... Wait, so we should tell people that we're at callyourgirlfriend.com. I mean, duh. Um, you can find us many places online, callyourgirlfriend.com, on Twitter, at call... 
YRGF, Call Your Girlfriend. And um, also, you on can iTunes. find us on iTunes. <laughs> and feel free to give us a rating. Tweet at us, and we'll answer some questions next week, maybe. I feel like last week's all-reader questions kind of absolved us from answering any this week. So, <laughs> ladies' choice. Um, ladies anyway, choice. see you on the internet, boo. See you on the internet.